Tomorrow Into Today, a podcast dedicated to sharing the knowledge and language of artificial intelligence in the Department of Defense. Join us as we discuss the passion projects for some of today's brightest minds and how artificial intelligence is being cultivated, procured, and delivered throughout the U.S. government. Be prepared to learn how artificial intelligence has become a part of everyday life and is working to support and further government missions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow Into Today. I'm Ariel Moore, the producer of this podcast. Again, today we have Tom Suter, founder and CEO of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, or ATARC, helping us gather relevant knowledge and expertise from our guest today, Amelie Corin, Director of External Technology Relations at Electronic Arts. So thank you for joining us today. Tom, the floor is yours. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Suter. I am the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, and I am pleased to have a great conversation today with Amelie Corin. How are you doing today, Amali? I'm doing pretty good, Tom. How are you doing? Great, great. So Amali, I, I met her many years ago, at least a decade ago, and we were doing government conferences, and, and, and Amali would always participate, be a big, and has been in and out of government. But recently, she took a job for Director of External Technology Relations at a company that's near and dear to my heart from the mid-80s with Dr. J. Larry Bird, Electronic Arts. So if you can go into a little bit about how do you go from GovCon, the government, back to industry, you've been at Walt Disney World, how do you navigate this career that you've had? Yeah, well, I would say at least for the last couple of years, uh, thankful for COVID to, to kind of make some of the changes a little bit more necessary than others. But I started out after college, definitely much more entrenched in the, the private sector, building up my career from a lot of the security background I have in engineering to where, as I was growing, my depth of knowledge and, and, and working around the different parts of the career space kind of required me to, to look at places that would give me those opportunities to get some breadth into the security area where I'm kind of more known as well. But as you kind of work up the ladder, you're you're wanting to kind of get some breadth in that to give you perspective when you're posed with certain problems. So after a, a little over a decade and well, actually it was a split split time, but a decade in public service bifurcated by some time at Disney, the way to kind of see, hey, you know, what parts of the public sector can be brought into the private sector and influence that. And then what stuff from the private sector can be bought into the public sector. And generally, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to both. There's pieces that can be learned from. And I think the opportunity I kind of provide for folks who find me on their payrolls is, is giving that perspective to them when they're, they're, you know, working on a challenging problem or an idea that they're kind of, you know, have a nugget rolling around in their head and, and say, hey, you know, this is this is an idea from here. I've ex experienced this before. Let's go down this path. Or, you know, if I've gone down that path, kind of say, well, you know, to save you some time, this is some things that you may want to kind of avoid. But since then, you know, I've, I've done C-level work. I did a stint at the White House on a leadership rotation as well. And that stuff has been really interesting because it's, especially in the public sector, it's giving you a chance of seeing how the government isn't as, I guess, maybe slower behind the times as every everyone kind of like brings them down to. And, and I've been with also organizations that were relatively young and still don't innovate the way that they promised. So it's, it's, you know, it's really kind of interesting kind of seeing that turned on its head. Yeah. Yeah. And how was security in the federal government contrast that with some of these companies that you've worked with? It seems like they were really looking at that federal experience you had to bring you in. 
Well, the, the interesting part about specifically the, the, you know, I get asked about the difference between the, the public and private sector is the private sector, they're, they're profit motivated. I mean, that's the, you know, pretty much kind of the norm and the public sector is, is very much less so. It's more about citizen services. So the, you know, kind of the risk profile, what kind of data gets used, where they operate and stuff are entirely different. But I mean, for the ones that are in an international focus, there are obviously similar concerns about threat actors as well as the size and, and, and potential targets. So those kind of transition relatively well, just how you go about doing it. And also noting one more profit motivated than the other, getting money to do stuff is a lot easier in certain areas. When you are in the uh, public sector, you know, you have to go through a whole budget process and, and congressional approvals and say they have the pen on the checkbook of America to kind of inspire them to, to kind of help roll out some programs and support them in the long term. Whereas in the, the private sector, you've got something immediately happening that's impacting the bottom line, they're going to toss resources at it and they're going to try to solve the problem. So speed, resource, and focus issue a lot of times, but generally they're very much the same. There's still the silos and and fiefdoms that, that get built up and, and, and turf wars and stuff. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. It's just a matter how you kind of work your way through those particular problems when you encounter them. Did the Sony hack and some of the other screenplay hacks, did that affect things? Is, is that like kind of like their hack of, you know, of OPM? Was that the equivalent in, in that side of the house? Well, it was interesting. You know, when I, I left the government the first time in 2014, it, you know, I, I'd done my, my time at OMB. And I let the federal CIO know at the time, just having been an incident responder, seeing the information come in from OPM about, they were shutting off access to the various investigations contractors. I think USIS was one, and I think Keypoint was the other. And I'm like, you know, this sounds like somebody hacked these companies. And, you know, in the spring is when OPM disclosed the, you know, the actual incident. But it was like, if you're aware of these things and just the patterns of that kind of behavior, it's easy to detect that. But then shortly after that, at the end of 2014, I, I joined Disney and it was just as the Sony hack happened. And I know definitely when I walked in and we we're sharing the same floor with the, the, the security team there, there was a lot of schadenfreude in a way, like we're glad it wasn't us, but you know, the, the fact that part of my time there, I, I participated in the electronic crimes task force in Los Angeles, and, and I'm still participating in the ISAC for the entertainment industry. That was it media and Emmy ISAC is what it's called. And they're their focus is very much different than most other ISACs. I mean, their concerns are more about intellectual property stuff. So theft and, and the, those types of things, which you highlighted. Whereas, you know, if you're working in critical infrastructure, say for the power industry and whatnot, the idea is, you know, life, more life and safety. Like no one's necessarily going to die if someone steals a movie. But, you know, if you compromise a power plant, you know, you could knock out power to a hospital. So, you know, those are those are different. Everyone has their different concerns and whatnot. But yeah, that's kind of where those things differ. How how is, you know, we, we kind of have at ATARC a couple of different pillars, one cybersecurity and one's AI. It seems like with cybersecurity, a lot of what the cyber practices are evolving and they're becoming more and more AI. How have you seen that over the last 20 years plus of you being in this industry? Well, I mean, I did have a focus a little bit on very early AI stuff when I was in college. And I was talking at the before we started today about celebrating one of those milestone birthdays over the weekend, realizing how long I've been around. But what we've seen with a lot of the models that come out, the chat GPT, the Dolly for some of the generated AI art and stuff like that, they're still very basic models. We've given them a lot of credit because 
much like the mechanical Turks from way back when, where don't look behind the curtain, little Wizard of Oz type kind of stuff. They're still very basic. They have their biases, they have their flaws, but we're so amazed at the output because we've never really experienced that before. We've either seen it happen faster, like you send a couple pictures off and in seconds you'll get, you know, five different interpretive variations and, and the like. On the security side, it shouldn't be more so about artificial intelligence. Like most of these, they're, they're large language models. They 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 can do some predictive stuff, but the thing is, unless you're being also attacked by bots, they all still maintain the flaws of the creator. The really sophisticated attacks are human-backed. Uh, they occur over longer periods of time. It's it's really close to spycraft, especially at the nation state level. So, you know, expecting a machine to, you know, infer that this is going to happen given the models that we have is a little bit less so. What we can benefit from, and this is where a lot of the, the growth has occurred, is a lot of automation. I remember back when I was working for a power company, you'd get this alert fatigue, just being able to kind of use automation to help process basic action, whether or not it's changing a rule or adjusting the flow over a network connection because you're seeing an attack. Those are, are very, very useful, but it still gets down to the automation and especially like right now that you've seen an uptick in threat intelligence. The issues there have been, you're not going to automate that. Again, it's, it's like Intel. You're needing to kind of understand like what your threat profile is, how your operating risk model is, and then apply your defenses and, and monitoring and everything based on your environment and what you do. AI hasn't gotten that far yet. I, you can get, you can use some tools to get some behavioral stuff, but you have a company full of humans who are going to behave differently every day. Getting business rules in there to, to know what the anomalies are, that's going to be helpful. But I think anybody who's promising, like, I've got this big brain, like, you do the stuff. I've had discussions with my my current employer in, in some of these rooms about the fact is, is there's a lot of trust, but verify. You're still going to have to go through and, and, and do that. And the fact that you, we still have to do signups for these chat GPT models and, and some of these GPT-3 engines. Because the computing and memory power is in there, it's expensive to run. And if everyone wanted to use that, you know, we would be putting such a demand on our available compute that, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of this stuff kind of fall down. Very, very interesting. I remember being at a conference, like I think it was with DISA about 10 years ago, and they go, we need to have a simulator where we can have army units interacting with naval units and drones. And, and I would like, it was like Call of Duty. I was thinking of that right away, of course. Mm -hmm. and I don't think the general at the time understood that. Uh, talk a little bit about Call of Duty and how you all worked with the military to a degree, just getting data from the military. I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, our company doesn't make Call of Duty. That is um, a competitor of ours. We we do one called Battlefield, but you know, similar first-person shooter. But a lot of the stuff that gets done for any of these games, they'll have realistic versions of the models of the weapons, whether it be vehicles, tanks, aircraft, the gun. My spouse plays Call of Duty, which has been maybe a little bit of frustration in our household because they're playing a competing property. But the fact that they'll watch videos you know, when they drop a new gun and, and watch how it behaves, there'll be someone online that literally will just like, here's a new gun that drops and they'll, they'll take target practice and show you how the bullet drop is. And, and, you know, having those physics and stuff gives you that better simulation. Conversely with Call of Duty and even some of the other first person shooters out there, other than my company's own one is that there, there are AI models there now. There are, are I wouldn't say smart AI models, but they, they behave in such a fashion that you drop them in an area of, given the the logic they've 
put behind them, they'll behave in a certain fashion. A lot of people just, it's like shooting ducks in a barrel when they first released it. But a lot of these companies, you know, Activision, Blizzard, and our own, and and I'm there's, there's a ton of, there's too many gaming companies out there, but anyhow, they use reinforced learning. So when they run a lot of the simulation models, it, it's the machine learning to know like where the edge of the map is and where's obstructions and what to do when shot at. You're just running these cycles over and over again to build up the, the, these patterns, this intelligence. It's, so it's not really Intel. It's just basically keeping a fast, relatable model in, in play in order to give some sense of gameplay or understand what happens with the collision. The ragdoll models, if you've watched a movie nowadays, you know, there's a lot of crisscross between what's being used in the gaming industry and what's being used to generate stuff in the movies. The big thing with Lucasfilm is the volume, doing the virtual sets. That's powered by Unreal Engine, which is this made by the company that makes Fortnite. So you were talking about training environments. It doesn't necessarily have to be where you're playing a video game with a VR headset. It's more or less giving that simulation, that feel. I know when I worked for HHS Inspector General's office, we had a law enforcement training facility because one of our branches is law enforcement. And, you know, it's those old Hogan's Alley type kind of things where they'll have a, a video play up and you'll shoot or how you deal with a hostage situation. With a lot of this new gaming technology, putting officers in a place that's more realistic or soldiers in those places that's more realistic that reflects in real time what they're seeing, what they're doing, rather than just kind of pulling from a video database file is a, an amazing crossover between like gaming and artificial intelligence and, and practical applications and hopefully result in, in, in less loss of life and, and, and situations where officers are not trained in order to behave properly in, in those situations. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I think one of the, somebody put a clip up from a video game, I forget which one it was, it doesn't matter, but of a Ukrainian jet taking out a Russian jet and everybody thought it was real. Yeah. And it, it went viral. We have General tweeting this out. It, it, I think it, that was from one of our games, actually. I th it was either that, like we also had another situation because EA does the FIFA franchise, which is now the EA Football Club. But during the World Cup, folks were posting videos from our video game as fake results to games and it was actually upsetting people who were betting on there because they were watching the wrong video. So you have a little bit of disinformation campaigns you have to worry about with the high high level of realism that, that exists in video games. You all are getting too good. <laughs> and then maybe finally, I know VR, I'm, I'm a little bit of a VR buff. I, I think it's been fits and starts as, as the technology's gotten better. And I, I, I've definitely watched some of the things you did, did with the NBA. What's the, what's kind of the future path there down the road for training and for gaming and other areas? Yeah. From, you know, the time I've been at, you know, Disney and even actually going as far back when I was in, in college, you know, when I was in college, the, the program that I was in was part of the engineering design and research center at Carnegie Mellon. And they developed a system under, you know, funding from DARPA at the time called ViewMan, which was an augmented reality maintenance assistance headset. So this is back in the early 90s. It's been written up and whatnot. But you know, that was the first real, I think, application of like that tech to something that was to do a task in such a fashion. And now definitely, you know, coming from the Disney side, the the whole immersive experience aspect, now, you know, folks are moving to better VR systems. 
We saw with Google Glass, we've now seen with a couple other companies that come out, especially with like Microsoft's HoloLens. And unfortunately, I said they ended up losing that contract recently when they did the, they did some of the pullback. The augmented reality, I think is probably going to be more substantial than just VR, living in VR. I think the, the ability to bring in aspects of your virtual environment, whether or not be your workplace and office contents to where, you know, much like digging back to the view man where you're pulling up information to do a task at your fingertips that's over that's an overlay on your environment is really cool. And I think that's where things are going. I have a friend on Facebook who threw something out that I didn't even think about, which was at the social aspect of having an AR headset you're walking around and someone's doing virtual graffiti or tagging messages like around the environment. I could imagine that in a warfighter situation where you have someone pass through with a, with an AR headset and they'll, they'll mark if they've already checked it. Or even like for the earthquake response, if you have those headsets on, it's been checked already. You don't, you know, you're not wasting time or stuff putting X's or circles or whatever on disaster response. Those are some real practical applications I see happening of that. I'm not a big seller on the the, the VR stuff. I think that's still, you know, it's very limiting. Also watching plenty of YouTube videos where people are destroying TVs or their living rooms because they move around too much. You know, at least with aug augmented reality, you can see out a clear pane of glass in order to to kind of like, okay, I've got situational awareness here. So yeah, I no, I agree with you. There's this really good short film came out about ten years ago. It's called C, and it's about S E E, and it's it's about augmented reality. I, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd recommend that. Any yeah. closing thoughts? Reflecting on your career, government, really cool, EA games, and and, and Disney. What do you, what what are some of your takeaways through life? I'd say for a lot of people is just don't maybe limit yourself a little bit. If you have an itch, scratch it. I've learned a lot from both sides of the fence and have tried to kind of spread the good from both into them, but also lessons learned. But I've always enjoyed the, the public sector, public service side of the house, because I've always seen that there's a direct impact for any of the work pe people do. And I think civil servants and, and folks in public service don't get enough credit because it's a lot of hard work. It's an absolute ton of work to do. And it often goes unrecognized and unrewarded other than the fact is if you have somebody in there going, Hey, I helped a friend's family member, or you know, there was a friend that was directly impacted by a policy I worked on. Those are somewhat intangibles, but they're also, I think you get a lot more kind of tactile feedback than spending three years in development for toy or a movie or something like you get that one one endorphin hit like hey it was released my name's in the credits of this movie or, or this video game or whatever but it's still fun because I mean I realized when I look back that I spent about as much time in the uh, public sector doing government work whether it be as a contractor or fed particular as I did in the private sector and the private sector is also really heavily gauged towards entertainment so I like the fun stuff <laughs> so try to find something that you enjoy and make it fun because otherwise you'll be old like me and go, geez, you know, I didn't have any fun doing any of this. You're, you're not, you're not that old. We won't, yeah. we won't mention that number, that magic number you hit today. Yeah. For yeah. those viewers, I'll tell you, it was 29. So yeah, I wish. Go. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, thank you, Amali. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Tom. Amali Corrin, Director of External Technology Relations at Electronic Arts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amelie, for joining us today. I learned a lot from your presentation, and I wanted to thank Tom again for guiding that conversation and giving us all the information we needed out of today's episode. We hope to see everyone again in the next episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow into Today. Bye, everyone.
listening to this episode of AI Proficiency, Turning Tomorrow into Day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, and share this podcast within your network. These actions move mountains for our mission of sharing artificial intelligence knowledge. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week on our next episode of AI Proficiency, Turning Tomorrow into Today.